they like clear me past triage. I mean, it's lightning fast because my appendix is rupturing and so they're prioritizing the fact that they're gonna try to help make sure that I don't die. If you've ever had a goal, then you know what it's like to go after something and to get it or to not get it. In my humble opinion, having a goal that you don't get can be just as important as having a goal that you actually achieve. I had a friend in my stomach, so to speak, as I was turning 40, and a huge goal about turning 40 that ended up not coming to fruition and then some. This is the story and this is why for any goal you ever have for the rest of your life, I hope you remember this and remember that it's about the process. The goal is just the goal, but the process, that's actually the fun part. But this is Long-Winded by Nature. I'm your host, Tim, and welcome to X amount of time that we're just going to enjoy life together. I'm going to tell you a random ass story today, and you're going to walk away with it with more appreciation for the day-to-day. That's a promise. So the year is 2017. I'm about to turn 40 years old, and I am obsessed with the idea of being under 10% body fat going into my 40s. A completely unnecessary and irrelevant thing to have top of mind, but I was all about fitness at the time. Not that I'm not now, but I was just overly meticulous about tracking my food and measuring my body fat and all that kind of good stuff. I'm not much better about it now, but I'm certainly not as specific, nor do I give a shit about being underneath 10% body fat. And that's when it all went to hell in a handbasket, and I almost died. Not because the whole under 10% body fat thing, but let me tell you the story. It was about a month before I was going to turn 40, and I was logging my food like crazy. It was a Friday night, and logging my food meant that I knew exactly what I could have for every single meal, and in a lot of cases, it meant needing a crap load of protein and more carbohydrates than I probably ever ate that I usually would put into vegetables. More quantity, you kind of know the drill if you track your macros. I had two orders of steamed chicken and broccoli from a fantastic place here in Brooklyn, Michael Ping's. Ate it, felt great. The next morning, my stomach kind of hurt, and I thought probably just too much broccoli. I probably did not need all (laughs) 10, 12, 16 ounces of broccoli, whatever the hell the portion actually was. There were a bunch of people at my house that morning. One of my friends from high school was staying with me for the night. He was in town for a photography shoot, and he just needed a place to crash. We had a friend who was here sneaking in, like, envelopes or something for an engagement party. Anyway, she needed time away from the woman she was going to marry in order to fill these envelopes or do something that was for a surprise. And, of course, my wife and my daughter were here, so the house was kind of busy. And then my wife went to work and my stomach was hurting me. And like, for some reason, I just get really nervous and I don't want to use my own bathroom when people are in the house. Like if I feel like I walk away and I'm gone for a little bit, then I'm just, I get nervous about that. So waited until everybody left. And then all of a sudden I'm like, "Uh oh, I think I'm, (laughs) I think I'm constipated. And yes, the story is going to be basically about stomach problems, but it leads to a near death experience. So just hang with me here. 
That afternoon, after my wife gets home from work, we go to watch one of our close friends and his son in a Little League game. He was playing travel Little League, kind of like high-end, or not high-end, but high-quality, I would assume he was probably 10, 12 years old at the time, high-quality 10, 12-year-old baseball in Brooklyn. And we were looking forward to going to a game, but I felt terrible. Like, at this point, my stomach's just getting worse and worse and worse very rapidly. This is Saturday morning after the Friday night chicken and broccoli incident. And I'm sitting there feeling terrible that I'm not enthusiastic about this game whatsoever. I hadn't even changed out of my workout clothes. I felt like I got in a terrible workout that morning and was just kind of a lump on a log. Everyone kind of notices that I'm very malaise. Afterwards, I assume that I'm constipated at this point go to CVS, get all the laxatives, go to Starbucks, get a coffee, no dice. I'm like, wow, this is, this is, this is weird. <laughs> like I've, I've never experienced this before, but I'm about to turn 40. So God knows what's happening in my body right now. Or I just ate way too much broccoli and it's just making me feel as bloated as the day is long. That night, the stomach pain was so bad, I slept on my daughter's bed by myself because I was just tossing and turning. And at one point, I'd go into the proverbial Google search hole and try to figure out exactly what's wrong with me based off of what the symptoms were. I don't remember what I saw, but I was so certain that it was gas or that it was being constipated that I just went down those specific rabbit holes. Next day, get up, I try to go to the gym again, this is Sunday now, and had a kind of a better workout, surprisingly, especially in hindsight, when I tell you what happened, and then the rest of the day kind of felt like crap again. I was convinced still that it might be gas, so I was even foam rolling my stomach <laughs> with the hopes that it, would, uh, that it would jar something loose. Still no dice. Sunday comes and goes. Monday morning, I wake up and my wife's like, go to the doctor. You look you look terrible. This is like day three. Go to the doctor, for God's sakes. I'm embarrassed at this point because I'm, I'm texting my boss saying, hey, I'm going to be late this morning. I need to go to the doctor. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have to get an enema or something super weird. Like, this is just embarrassing all around. And um, I can't believe this is probably because I ate too much broccoli on Friday night. Go to the doctor, minute clinic kind of joint, and once they see me, he starts poking around on my stomach and he hits a certain spot and it's just like fire. He's like, dude, I think your appendix is rupturing or ruptured. Go here right now and immediately get a CAT scan or whatever the hell they do to look inside your body to see if you've got an appendix that's rupturing. I had ridden my bike to the minute clinic and then I rode my bike to where I got inside the contraption and you drink the stuff and they look and see what's going on. Drink the stuff, go in the tube, sit there with the nurse and within five minutes, she's got a panic stricken look on her face and I'm like, oh shit, what's going on here? I guess I'm not making my 10 a.m. meeting and immediately go to the hospital. You have to go to the hospital right now. Your appendix is ruptured. It is It is literally in the process of rupturing. Go to the hospital right now. I remember walking outside and I, I ride a crazy Dutch cargo bike and looking around 
at the traffic and it was just kind of surreal to be like, wow, this is really happening. Like I'm, I need to go get surgery right now. It's just a very surreal headspace to be in. And you're kind of contemplating the variables like, where, where do I even go? I don't even remember if they told me where to go. Call my wife and try to have the calm conversation about, I need to go to the hospital right now. I'm going to look up where the best New York City hospital is to go to for rupturing appendix and then figure out how to get my ass home. I'm thinking, can I bike somewhere? Do I bike home and then go somewhere? Do I even get on the bike? I look and I'm like, if I take an Uber, what's the wait time? Biking is going to be get me home faster. But at this point too, like the pain continues to escalate. And I'm also now keenly aware of the fact that my appendix is rupturing. And therefore, every bump that I might take or every step feels like it's making it worse, even if that's just in my head. I decide to get on the bike. I feel like that's going to be the quickest path home. And that's also going to be then the quickest path to get me to the hospital, which I don't know quite yet which one I should go to. We call my mom, I think, at this point, it starts to become a blur, but it, we we end up tracking down my dad who was in the middle, not the middle, but he was out in the Atlantic Ocean. For context, my dad is a stage four melanoma cancer survivor. He was out on a sailing trip with one of the doctors that saved his life. And this was a very, very, very special trip to him for a multitude of reasons. It's been 20 plus years since he survived this, but still, he he was something that had been talked about for a while this was an adventure of a lifetime, and hence he's just there, and that's some broader context for some of the stuff that we've gone through as a family, but also that we were trying to track him down at least a little bit because he, of, because of that experience, he knows some doctors and just knows generally what to do in these types of situations or might have some direction or advice. I don't know that I necessarily thought of trying to track him down, but I'm pretty sure that my wife did because she's smarter than me in just about every regard. Somehow I'll get my dad on the phone, even though he's out in the Atlantic, and he says, hold on, let me make a call. Call some of his friends, and he's there on the boat with the doctor that has connections because it's a super smart doctor from Memorial Sloan Kettering, and they find a friend who's at an emergency room at NYU who which also happens to be the place where the nurse who was at our house on Saturday morning filling out the envelopes for her fiancé was is also a nurse there. So, cool. NYU, here we go. Bike back, every bump hurts, get home, don't know what to pack, but I think I packed something, and get in the car. I think my wife had pulled my kid out of school at this point too, I think. Yes, it was a Monday, and all of a sudden our daughter was with us, so... Um, I guess it was the three of us heading to the hospital together. And we get there, and there's this big row. If you're not from New York City, there's kind of like a row of hospitals on First Avenue where it's NYU Langone, and there's like several buildings that are all associated with it. So it's not entirely clear immediately, like which is the emergency room and where it's just kind of like the general place where all the other stuff is for, for lack of a better description. And so as soon as we see the words emergency room, have the car pull over, get out and run in. As we're checking in, the woman says, 
no kids under whatever age. My daughter must have been five at the time, so she couldn't come. My wife turns around, gets back in the car, and takes her to my mom's, who lives on the Upper East Side. So I check myself in, and I go through, and immediately they, like, clear me past triage. I mean, it's lightning fast because my appendix is rupturing, and so they're prioritizing the fact that um, they're going to try to help <laughs> make sure that I don't die. I go in, I get in a bed, and one of the first things I remember is the nurse coming over, and he was fumbling around trying to put the needle in my arm for IV and a morphine drip. So much so that it, it was like, apparently, it was very apparent that he had not a lot of experience putting needles in people's arms because it was just almost comical how <laughs> how much he was messing around. And like, I, at this point, my head is God knows where. I'm very much like, I can't believe this is all happening. And it took me about a minute or two to be like, dude, uh, do you need to, do you need some help? Like, what, what can I do to help here? This is, <laughs> something's not working. Next try, he gets it. And then the morphine kicks in and I start to bliss out. My wife's not back yet. So I'm just laying there in the bed by myself. And I look around and I'm like, wow, that's so interesting. Everyone else is wearing orange. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, even more interesting. A lot of those wearing orange are handcuffed to their beds. I'm like, oh, there's even more interesting things here that I'm now noticing all of a sudden. There's cops everywhere. <laughs> my wife, basically, as this is all hitting me, my wife comes in and she's like, we're at the wrong hospital. I'd be like, what do you mean we're at the wrong hospital? She's like, this isn't NYU. I'm like, what? Where, 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 where could we be? And then I'm like, oh, I get it now. We're at, we're at Bellevue. Bellevue is the more public hospital, I guess. It didn't even dawn on me. Like, I mean, I, I've, for some reason, it just never clicked in my head that this was not the place to be or that there was something distinct other than once I realized there were a lot of other people wearing orange and there were cops and there were people handcuffed to beds and that that's in large part where they would take prisoners and especially those from Rikers Island if something happened I guess that they're brought to Bellevue and so it's like okay this is already happening like I'm here I'm not I don't think I can get up and be like sorry I'm at the wrong hospital Within, I don't know, 15 minutes or so before they wheel me upstairs and start to go through the process of fixing my appendix, uh, the doctor comes over who was the one that I was supposed to meet at the other hospital. And because the hospitals are all kind of in a row, he was in supervising mode for a handful of locations at the same time. So kind of didn't matter. It certainly was a completely different experience than had I gone to NYU, and I'm actually really glad that I had this experience for a few reasons. When I got to the room, I was there by myself, and this is all, again, happening in very, very fast, real time, and I'm on morphine, and my stomach is still, but I can still kind of feel the pain, and I don't think I'm going to die at this point, but the shocking realization of, like, 
you know, going from a headspace just a few days before of I'm going to be in the best shape of my life before I turn 40 years old to holy shit, like my appendix is rupturing. I'd certainly heard of this before, but never thought that this was something that would actually happen to me. And now I'm on a morphine drip in the wrong <laughs> hospital surrounded by, uh, by people wearing orange jumpsuits because they came probably from Rikers Island to get whatever help that they needed. In the room, they come in, they wheel me out, they bring me into the uh, into surgery, and I just I remember having a polite conversation with the woman who was the uh, anesthesiologist, and trying to just be nice and kind to everybody because it's just kind of the way my brain works. Wheel me in, lights out, and then all of a sudden I am laying in the bed in the room that was a shared room. There's a lovely view of the Empire State Building. And I looked down and they had left a meal there for me. And it looked like the most glorious peanut butter and jelly sandwich parts and pieces that I could ever fathom. And I remember scarfing it down almost immediately, even though it kind of hurt to eat because uh, I assume they had something, the tube down my throat or something along those lines because my throat all of a sudden was super scratchy. I could be wrong about that. There's obviously a lot of facts that could be checked within this considering I was on a morphine drip for <laughs> almost the entire time. At some point in the middle of the night, they wheel in another patient and I'm start, like I, I hear him come in and I'm starting to gather what his situation is, but he can't, he can't speak. Doctors and nurses start to come in on the regular to see this gentleman who had just must've had something in his jaw or in his mouth removed. The story that I gathered was that he was a homeless person that was found with a tumor so big that it had to be immediately removed or something along those lines. Cause basically the questions were, do you have a home? And he's either grunting or writing things down. And the answers were no, and that he has no family and that this was an emergency surgery that he kind of understood what was happening, but not entirely. And he like immediately all things considered and not that I was feeling sorry for myself, but, like, holy Christ, am I thinking, how lucky am I for a multitude of reasons? In general, I like to think that I am about as fortunate as fortunate can get. I am happy, healthy. I've got all kinds of things going well for me in general. Of the 8 billion people on the planet, for a multitude of reasons, I believe that I'm in a top echelon of just being born lucky, being tall, being healthy, being just who I am. Like, I don't know. You could just name just about everything about who I am. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll, I'll take all of these things. Like I just feel extraordinarily fortunate on just about every single level. But the recalibration of what being lucky means laying in that bed next to somebody who had no home, just had some sort of tumor removed from somewhere in his face. And the doctor's trying to figure out like, okay, what does aftercare look like for this person? 
And just the humbling experience of being in Bellevue for that in the hospital that was considered like the not nicer of the hospitals, I guess. But everybody that like, and so like the flood of things, the people that work there and how fortunate we are that people choose the medical profession in general. How fortunate we are that people choose medical professional and then will spend their times at the places for people that don't have insurance or have, or like there's that larger gap in society between rich and privileged and those less fortunate and the various circumstances. So like that entire kind of flood and being at Bellevue just hit me like a ton of bricks, let alone the fact that had I not caught this, had I been an idiot for another day or so, who knows what what would have happened. I remember going for a walk that morning before my wife picked me up. They encouraged me to get up and start walking around. I mean, <laughs> I was sore. It's You're pretty sore the morning after you get your appendix uh, pulled out. And there were these really sweet women that were there. And I don't know why they were there, but like we were kind of walking laps together. And I, I don't speak Spanish fluently, but I can understand enough spoken that I had a gist as to what they were talking about and we struck up kind of like a half broken conversation and it was just kind of you know very kind and happy and you know glad to be walking and kind of enjoying the few moments that we had walking around together even though this very weird set of circumstances put us in the same hallway at the same time and I don't know, there was just something kind of otherworldly about the entire experience and how humbling it all was. My wife picks me up within a few hours of that walk. I remember getting home and it's now Tuesday must have been because it was late Monday night that I got the surgery and then they released me Tuesday afternoon, I think. Um, and I tried to get back right back on the laptop and within, I think it was the following Monday... I was back in the office, but man, what a recalibration going into year 40. The whole fact of, okay, great, cool that you really wanted to hit this goal. And I, you know, I feel like a lot of people potentially could have felt sorry for themselves of, you know, I wanted to do this thing and my appendix ruptured, or at least I had people that would ask me questions along the lines of, well, didn't you think about X, Y, or Z? I was like, no, those things didn't cross my mind. I was thinking, A, I'm glad that I wasn't an idiot for another couple of days. Uh, I love the fact that I can tell the story that I went to the wrong hospital and I had that experience at Bellevue of all places. Um, and just what a humbling reminder it was of in regards to how goddamn lucky I am that I wasn't the guy in the bed next to me. And I hope that gentleman is okay now and on the up and up and, you know, hopefully has a much more solid set of circumstances around him. But you never know what's going to happen in life. You really don't. So is anything guaranteed on any given day? Absolutely not. So whether it's being nice to the person that is making your coffee or just being okay with the fact that while the meeting you're sitting in is a bit challenging – there's probably in the grand scheme of the 8 billion, there's probably far worse circumstances to be in. 
So even if you're going for some sort of massive goal that you're working on for a long, long time, and it means a ton to you because of some sort of big milestone that's coming up, you don't know what's going to happen. So enjoy the chase of that goal. Enjoy what it means to follow a process and to be disciplined or have the rigor to chase after something. But under no circumstances, assume that it's guaranteed or assume that when it's done, other than having done it, that it means much more than that, right? It's cool that we have things that we chase after and it's cool when we, when we accomplish them and it feels really damn good. But there's also a good amount of just fortune that's in that to help things come across. And that's not to discredit hard work and that's not to discredit anything any of us do in the pursuit. But I say all of this because of what I was trying to do to go into year 40 and I'll never get that back, but I kind of like the way that it turned out because it gives me this new fresh perspective and it gives me this interesting random ass story. And I'll never forget more so than, wow, great. I was 10% body fatter. Who gives a fuck going into year 40? I can say I was laying there in that bed surrounded by people wearing orange jumpsuits that were handcuffed to their beds and had the privilege of actually being helped in the first place so that I didn't die and had the privilege of being in that experience next to that person in that room so that I could be, you know, have the friendly reminders to what really matters in this world. And that's exactly what we have, whatever we do have. I hope that made sense. This is just one of the first handful of podcasts that I'm doing, so I'm still learning along the way too. I love you. Thank you for spending time with me today. 